Hey, Guy, how would you like to build a six-figure practice working just two hours a day? Can I do it in only two hours altogether? You can do it in your pajamas, working from 9 to 11, and just let it go. And then, and, and then you're done. That sounds amazing. Almost too good to be true. Almost too good to be true. Now, I wanted to start this session off giving a shout out to someone who is kind of working with lawyers to help them build their practices. And this was an ad that hit me, which means their advertising is not all that super well targeted, but like, we'll let that be what it is. And I started to think about this, this whole life balance marketing that we see frequently, right? So you don't have to try hard, four-hour workday, that this was a two-hour workday, the four-day work week, you know, like spend more time on the beach with your beautiful spouse, all that kind of stuff. Sounds great. It sounds amazing. Beautiful spouse not included in the two hours a day. But part of me feels like this is a bit of a bait and switch because... I think it's really saying it's so easy to build your practice that most people read this as, oh, well, if it's only two hours a day, I'm still going to work my eight hours a day and I'm going to make a, a much bigger practice by doing that. And I feel like these are a bit bait and switchy. Or do you feel like <laughs> lawyers are really trying to improve their work-life balance? Well, yeah, they'd love to, right? I mean, lawyers are busy. They don't have time for anything. They barely have time to keep up serving clients. And so the allure of uh, just work two hours a day and six figures and be on a beach all the time is great. Now, hell, I'll say this. I do think you probably can do a lot of your work from a beach if you've got the right systems and tools in place. Oh, but the yes, two baby. The two hours a day part, or just two hours, period, I don't know. I mean, hey, if you found a way to do it, great. But I, you know, I can tell you, I've signed up for a lot of those things. And you know what it is? You get some coaching, you get some downloads, you get a nice email, maybe you get a, a call from a coach or somebody. And that's not to, just, to be dismissive for some people. I think, you know, there's a lot of value in having a coach, but, you know, look, this is bait and switch, I think is a nice way to put it, right? Yeah. I mean, my, my blunt perspective is the the law firms that we see growing really well do not have, I can't think of a single client that we have where there is the lead of the law firm on the beach six hours a day, and they're just kind of checking in every two hours. And it's just, it's just not. Well, and didn't, it wasn't the example that you used. That uh, particular expert, uh, they were running ads to a broken URL too, right? Well, so. that was that was equally problem. I was honestly trying to like spread some love here and be positive and like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna profile someone who's thinking a bit out of the box. And then I, she put up an ad and. The URL was under construction. I'm like, well, that's how you're going to work two hours a day. You're not going to get any fucking business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I digress. The internet. Everybody's an expert. Yeah. All right. Well, what else are we talking about besides broken URLs? All right. Coming back. Featured here. We're, we got the news coming back. The um, news is back. And as we are starting Q4, we're going to be talking about annual plannings or the lack thereof. For 2023, we're going to go, and this, we promised this last session, and so we're going to come through with our promises because we never lie. We're going to go through the marketing metrics power rankings, and finally, again, from last session, a promise that we will fulfill. We're going to do a book review. Favorite new marketing segment. Books. New segment. And if you hate that new segment, let us know. Otherwise, we're going to keep it. We're going to keep reviewing books until you tell us we hate it. Please review our book review segment on Apple Podcasts. And with that, money makes the world go round. Money makes the world go round. Money makes the world go round. 
And welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast. We've got a great show for you today, but first, we're going to talk about the news. All right, coming to you from Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. And I hope by the time you hear this, this problem is fixed, and I am very low in confidence that it will be. Google Business Profile. This is all over our feeds right now. Guy and I have talked about this a lot. There are just people up in arms about this. Google Business Profiles are getting suspended left, right, and center for the smallest of non-transgressions, like adding a UTM parameter, making a new post. That was one that I saw uh, yesterday. The, Which are those, but neither of those are transgressions, by the way. None of these are transgressions. Like these are these are really really basic things. And just to talk about this really quickly, this is your Google Business Profile, right? Used to be called Google My Business, now called the Google Business Profile. If you abbreviate it GBP, Google will confuse that with the Great British Pound, um, which is kind of ironic. But um, <laughs> there are listings all over the place being suspended over and over and over again. And a couple of things about this. Number one, they are for non-transgressions, right? Like adding UTM tracking parameters, adding a phone number, making a post, right? So these are, these are not things that should be triggering any problems. But secondly, getting yourselves out of this suspension black box is an absolute long-term nightmare. So my recommendation, and Guy and I talked about this, I, I don't know if you're still on this camp of, of, of maybe, but I am basically telling people, don't touch this. MC hammer this. Like, just leave it alone. Because I don't know how long this is going to go on, but you do not want to be a data point that says we don't exist anymore in Google Local. Key thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I just got an email this morning about this. What should we do from another marketing agency? And I'm like, sorry, I don't have any good news for you. Uh, <laughs> it's broken. It's always broken. You know, again, and this is my Google rant. Like, the only thing that gets attention is the thing that drives 99% of the revenue, which is ads. Although there are ads in this. I'm, I wonder if it's affecting the ads. But And it, I probably, right? The, this is, you can't advertise on a suspended listing. Yeah, right. yeah. So um, I don't know. So I, you know, Conrad said I was a maybe because what do you, I mean, obviously, well, I don't know if it's obvious. I would be curious. Have you seen any suspensions from people leaving reviews? You know, reviews, it's the holy grail out there. You're going to tell people to stop going and leaving reviews? The other one is hours of operation. You know, we've got holidays coming up here. Are we telling people not to change their hours of operation? You know, people are moving offices. You're supposed to just not move, change your address, your phone number. You've changed phone numbers. Um, I hear you. I don't know. Some of me thinks you're darned if you do, darned if you don't. You know, maybe give it a week, see what happens. Uh, it's still early. We'll keep you posted if we see stuff on the hashtag. But um, yeah, this is what happens. You know, again, until somebody holds Google accountable for being the primary business lookup directory for, you know, at least small businesses in the United States, this is what we're going to deal with, folks. People are going to search on your name and they're not going to get any results, you know, your website, but no local results. So, stinks. Yeah. I would, before you make any changes to your Google business Call Conrad. Profile, Everybody call Conrad. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Conrad, I, what's your cell? I would look up a very recent article about this. Find a very recent article before you touch on it. If you're moving offices, frankly, I would much rather you 
list the wrong location than not exist. Go to a local search forum and follow what's going on there. They're, yeah. they're still on top of it. It's a mess. Okay, sorry. This is supposed Bad. to be news, not a Google segment. Moving on. Can you talk about, Gee? We've, we've talked about this in the past. The stock market has just, as of today, shot down again. We're dropping below 30,000 for the Dow. We're talking about global economic uncertainty. Supply chain are still an issue. There's a massive problem with natural gas in Europe. The foreign currencies are, are devaluing, which is good for those of you who like to travel. But like, we're looking at a high likelihood of economic downturn. What was our recommendations when we talked about this in light of COVID, which was the same exact thing, kind of global economic downturn? What were the recommendations that we came out with at Lunch Hour Legal Marketing? Hire more marketers. Now, just, you know, look, we're, Conrad and I are biased. We sell marketing services. But, but the flip side of that coin is we do see what happens when people shut off their ads and when they shut off all their marketing activities. And guess what? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you stop marketing, don't be surprised that you're not gonna grow. You're essentially guaranteeing that you're not going to grow. But seriously, a couple of things to point out. One, Harvard Business Review had a, has a great case study on this, or maybe it was an article or something, but the TLDR is, is that sure, this is a great opportunity, actually, for a lot of firms. You know, you got to be smart about your marketing investments. And, you know, bad marketing and advertising is bad regardless of whether it's good times or bad times. But the opportunity is that, uh, you know, maybe a lot of your competitors are pulling out. And so maybe this is a, an opportunity for you to capture more share of voice, more market share. Uh, I will tell you this, again, lawyers help people during some of the most difficult times in their life. And guess what? Economic downturn for some legal services consumer segments, this is actually going to be a time that people are going to be seeking you out. Uh, so might be time for you to be rethinking and getting ready as we'll talk about planning uh, for 2023. You know, sadly, for a lot of folks that it's the downturn's bad, for a lot of lawyers, this is a, an opportunity for them to attract more clients. All right. Simple supply and demand. The more people pull out of the market, the cheaper the market is. Continue yeah, and more on. people entering the market, right? I mean, you know, what economic downturns, they cause strife, in families, they cause financial issues, they cause all sorts of things that lawyers help people navigate. Finally, talk to us about Google Search On, which seems like people should know about this, but I don't think many do. Well, we felt compelled because we're search nerds to at least reference it, but you know, and you can go to searchon.thinkwithgoogle.com, I believe, or if you just search for Search On. Google. They did a presentation, but there's a lot of stuff in there that probably you don't connect the dots as a lawyer. They're making some big investments into maps and you know making it more a more rich experience. I think some of that goes to some of the things we talked about with um, TikTok stealing search market share, right? So people, they want to know what it's actually like to go to the local business. You know, They're thinking really restaurants in here, but one that jumped out at me was the new search features around question and answer sites and forum sites. And so for mm -hmm. a long time, you know, People will talk about, well, you can participate in forums and some of these forum sites rank. You know, you think Quora, uh, Avo is one of those, Avo Answers. And Google is actually, I haven't seen it in legal. They give it an example, I think, for like buying a family car. But they're giving a call out, essentially, it's a, essentially a rich snippet for forum sites. And so if, you're, if you happen to be in an area where a core query that asks a question triggers one of these forums discussion kind of uh, results, you should probably be adding or prioritizing participating in these forum sites to your marketing mix. There you have it. All right. And now we're going to take a break. 
Learn by Doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app. Smart firms use CallRail to track where every lead comes from. PPC, LSA, organic search, or even offline ads. CallRail tells you which channels drive your best leads. CallRail even integrates with your favorite CRM or practice management tools to help manage your leads and see the ROI on your marketing investments. Know exactly which marketing tools work. Plans start at 45 bucks a month. We recommend CallRail to every single one of our clients. Go to callrail.com slash lunch hour now and try it for free. And now for the Legal Trends Report Minute, brought to you by Clio. So uh, on the, uh, we have a plug to uh, Maxim Lawyer Group on Facebook. Uh, someone was talking about for the first time in five years, I'm raising my hourly rate next year. Uh, I don't want to raise it on existing clients, although I'm thinking I should. How have you all handled a rate change within the firm? I'm interested to hear how you've all done it. Well, and uh, we're recording this prior to ClioCon 2022, which I'll be at. So if you're there and listening to this, hi. But the Legal Trends Report 2016, I believe this is the first time they did it. Uh, they talked about the billable hour index. So if you're thinking about rates, you're thinking about inflation, go check this out. But the Legal Trends Report, for the first time, a data-driven estimate of the average hourly rate for small to mid-sized firms, a metric that they refer to as the billable hour index. In 2015, the average hourly rate for law firms across the U.S. was $232 per hour. So there's your benchmark nationally. The billable hour index from 2010 to 2016 was a view of the billable hours across the country showing average hourly rates evolving over time, for over that time period. And then they actually contextualized it within the consumer price index, which again is particularly relevant in times of great inflation, which they, you know, we hadn't been experienced and they've actually published this. So it'd be really interesting to see. I don't know if that's going to be a data point included in this year's Legal Trends report, but really, really interesting to see how you benchmark against billable hours nationally. And while the billable hour index has trended upwards steadily since mid-2010, again, this is back in 2016, it's only at best kept pace with the overall rate of inflation. Again, 2016. So imagine what's going on now. Uh, rate of inflation increased by 10.6% between 2010 and 2016, and billable rates fell behind. So short version, and to our friend from Maximum Lawyer in Facebook, you know, Conrad, you and I have talked about this. We talked about this with George when he was on yep. pricing, pricing your services, pricing expertise services in a time of great inflation. Like it makes a big difference. Well, I'll give you another flavor on this. You've got clients for whom they've stuck with you for five years and you are worried about raising... These are clients who love you. Of course you should raise your rates on clients who love you. These are clients who are much less price sensitive. 
And I'll, I will give you a tip on how to do this. It was done very well to me. Like this was one of the vendors that I that we work with on occasion. And Guy, I believe you you know who I'm talking about. And she sent to me, hey, we're, we're doing a price increase. I've got you grandfathered in from like the equivalent of five years ago. I'm going to move you up, but not to our new rate, but we're just going to catch you up from like what it was two years ago instead of five years ago when you started. So like she's still giving me a deal. She's still upping her rates. Like absolutely continue to raise your rates on those clients because if you don't, you will not be able to afford to continue to deliver great service to your most loyal clients. And if they're that price sensitive, they're not great clients. And finally, and watch, watch how carefully I'm going to hook this into our segment. We're talking about annual planning. Right now is the exact right time to be talking about raising your rates. Right now, is it's just natural, right? I'm a service-based business. I sell my time. Inflation has been crazy. We're looking into 2023. Our new rates are X, right? This is the right time to do that. To learn more about these opportunities and much more for free, Download Clio's Legal Trends Report at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O. And make sure to check out the latest Legal Trends Report from Clio that should be released as you're listening to this. Yeah, and we will do a whole bunch of work on Legal Trends Report in, in the upcoming episodes. But, but read this. This is a must read for everyone. Hey, Guy, how many of your clients have an annual plan for 2023. How many of them are, are, are building that out? I have to be honest, I don't know the direct answer to that, but I will tell okay. you that that's something that we preach internally to have that conversation with clients all the time. So important. How many of yours are? All of them. All of them. Good so, job. So, the, I mean, we actually run annual, and it's not annual business planning, but it is annual marketing planning for our clients. Uh, and we have a, a, a series of workshops that we, we work through. And then it's really based around, and this is, I think, the most important thing. We need to know where you want to go as a business, right? And there's lots of different paths that you can take. But the answer we want to grow is not a good target for your annual plan. You need to know where you want to go. And, and, that, and that where do you want to go could be something like, we want to achieve X amount of revenue. We want to go from you know, 200 intakes a, m- a month to 240 intakes a month. We want to open a new office. We want to hire three new lawyers, right? These are all kind of smart goals that talk about growth. And they're all good. But what they give you, because they're smart goals, is they give you a path to figure out, okay, what do we need to do to get there, right? And my fear is a lot of law firms think about this. Well, we're going to grow next year. Well, how much? Bigger. How much bigger? Bigger than we are today. Where are we today? Well, I'm not really sure, right? And that's, that's not an annual plan. So I do think you need to start with very, very specific business metrics in order to achieve that. Agreed. We run Traction. I encourage people to check out Traction. It's, you know, I kind of think it's just a framework set of tools, but it's kind of like, you know, use a sports ball analogy. It's, it's like a type of offense you can run. But we talk about 10-year target, three-year picture, one-year plan. So annual plannings, a one-year plan. But as you go from 10-year target to one-year plan, you're going from like really big, kind of fuzzy directionally, you know, your big vision to the more tactical. And again, if you think your practice is a business, which by the way it is, unless you're doing it as a hobby or it's purely pro bono or oh, stop it, um, <laughs> then you need a plan. You need a plan. And, and, and in fact, we even go, you know, shorter clip than that because when it gets really tactical within the 90 day world, but when you're planning, yeah, like Conrad mentioned, you should be evaluating, you know, where you were this last year, whatever those metrics are going to be. You should have a scorecard, right? We're going to talk metrics in a second. 
And then how are you going to improve? And it's and it that's the thing too that I, I'm sure Conrad faces because we talk about this all the time. But you can have a huge vision. You can be like, I want to be the dominant personal injury firm in the state of Texas. But how are you going to get there? And are you going to support that with the time and money it's going to take to actually yeah. make that growth? And and is is revenue even the right metric for you? Right. Yeah. Um, that's what planning does. And then you get that plan in place and now you go execute and then you measure and then you do it again. So as a bit of an aside, we would love to hear from you if you have implemented traction at your law firm. It's built on the, on, on the book Traction by Gino Wickman, quite the rage in some, within some law firms. So I'd love to hear from you if you've if used traction. That might be an interesting conversation for us to have. The other part I think that's really important you mentioned having a three-year plan, which is helpful. If you just kind of do one-year plan to one-year plan to one-year plan, it's a little bit undirected. And having those metrics, and I think the key here, one of the things that Traction preaches, we've I've done this forever. I've done this since my days at Alvo, frankly. Mark Britton used to do this. Every quarter, we would do a full-on business review, and I've extended that to the agency, and we do that with our clients as well. But it is a review of those business metrics those business goals that you have, whether it's revenue or lawyers or new offices, and where are you with regards to achieving those things and coming back and reviewing them? If you don't review those on a quarterly basis, it's useless because what will happen is in November of next year, you're going to search for that file on your computer, right? Like what was the annual plan? Then you're going to look up what you decided your goal was, which you've already forgotten about because you're so busy doing, doing cases and hiring people and running a business. And then you're like, oh, we're never, we're nowhere near where we wanted to be because we haven't looked at it. And so that kind of goes back to the importance of the written plan and those regular quarterly check-ins. What else do you think about from an annual planning perspective, Guy? Like, what are the key things that you want to know about a law firm when you're when you're handling their plan for next year? Well, you know, I mean, we're specifically talking about marketing. Yeah, um, that's fair. The big ones that I look at are you know, looking at their target market. So their, uh, their target ideal average client personas. Yeah. Are those right? Is the positioning right? And really for me, a lot of it, like the planning looking forward is, is that's the output, but the input really is, is looking back and saying, did we actually execute? Did we execute on all the things that we wanted to execute on? How did those right. things perform? Because the year gives you a, it's a good amount of time to say, hey, look, we actually invested some time and money into this. Are we moving in the right direction based on, you know, whatever metrics that we want to look at? Because you can't you can't reevaluate your positioning and your budget week to week, month to month. It's just not enough time. Uh, the other thing you have to factor into all this, and I think we were talking about this in the context of the downturn, but you know, year over year you know, a COVID year might look a lot different than a non-COVID year for certain right. practice areas. I mean, I remember talking to a lot of personal injury firms that primarily focus on motor vehicle accidents and like in the counties they were in, it went from 400 motor vehicle accidents in their county to zero overnight. Right. So all that's got to be taken into account. And then the big one is, is like, okay, you want to grow your revenue. Let's just say we even get you to, you want to grow your revenue by 30% this coming year. Are you going to, how are you going to support it? Right. You know, you're, you're going to try to do it completely organically. You're going to do it for free. You're going to do it with just investment of your time. Is that realistic? How did that go last year? Uh, those are the kinds of types of things that we look at. So just to get slightly one, one flavor further deep on that, you need to understand that the more aggressively you want to grow, the more money you need to put into your growth, right? It's so obvious, which is frankly taking money out of your profitability, right? You are reinvesting your profit into your growth, 
Or you could be maximizing your profit, which is totally cool, right? But those two things, there is a long-term and short-term side to this that work against each other. And you need to be okay and understand that there is a push and pull between that short-term profitability and that long-term growth. All right. When we come back, we're going to be talking about key metrics, metrics that matter in line with these annual plannings. What are the marketing metrics power rankings that we think are most important? And we're back with we're the back. marketing metrics power rankings. So we have these five metrics. Yes, we know there are a lot more marketing metrics. So when you LHLM us with, oh, what about impressions and click-through rate? We know we can summarily dismiss you. If you would like um, to talk but, about impressions and click-through rate, come on to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing and Guy will make fun of you. Yes. And so two things. You know, One, as we were putting this list together... It's really important not to have too many metrics. You know, we talked about traction. I, I, I'm going to screw this up. So traction uh, disciples, you can correct me. But I think for scorecard metrics, they talk about three to seven. Uh, so we're going to do five. And just and to tie into big, Baker, Baker has his own metrics, right? And he has eight. For, has eight. for yeah. running a firm, it's eight. And, and he eight actually gauges. uses, he's a pilot. And he uses the analogy as if you are a pilot and you have 100 dials to look at, you will crash. Right. And right. so he's talking about the eight. And there's, there's metrics underneath all of these, of course. But right. if we had a finite number of don't fly into the mountain metrics, these are the five that we would pick. And the other thing, too, that's important in uh, whittling down the list is these are metrics that are related to business objectives. They're not, you know, I made fun of impressions and click through rates. Someone was talking about bounce rate again, <laughs> yet again with the bounce rate. Please stop. Let's talk business objectives. You know, you're, you're, your law firm is not going to crash into the mountain because of your bounce rate, but it might crash into the mountain if you're way off on one of these five metrics. Let's dive in. You want to start with number one or number five? Let's make this like uh, a countdown to the big reveal. Got it. Number five, most important. Well, these market. are my, these are I rank these by the way, so you might disagree. No, no, no. We'll, we'll, we're we're good. We're good. Okay. I think I think actually the important key here is these five metrics are really, really important. How we prioritize across them um, becomes interesting. We can fight about it. Number yeah. five is sales velocity. The initial responsiveness and the velocity through which people walk through the sales process. And the reason I campaigned for sales velocity is this is so easy to measure and fix. A lot of these other things that are... They're harder to fix and, and assess. We did a whole thing on sales velocity in the last episode, but sales velocity is basically how responsive are you and how quickly are you at getting prospects through your sales funnel from reaching out to you into that client that is signed. And if you know what those numbers are, you can work to improve them. And it's really just a matter of improving your responsiveness across a whole variety of things. But that's why... It's so important to me because the contrapositive to a fast sales funnel is a slow sales funnel, and that overall reduces your overall conversion rate. You do a worse job, you're delivering worse service, you're hard to get a hold of, all of those things. And so sales velocity is super, super important. Gee. Agreed. What's number four? Number four is the marketing pie graph. So Conrad, you, uh, I think you actually dubbed it marketing pie graph. So why don't you take us through what's in your marketing pie graph? This is, the, and I'm going to, I'm going to stick with this funnel again, but you should know, just very simply be able to build a pie graph of where your leads, 
consultations, ideally clients, and ideally revenue, right? Those are four amazing pie graphs to know where your clients are coming from. Now, the nuance behind this, and we've talked about this before, is the source attribution of where they're actually coming from, right? And that is why it is very important to have, in my opinion, two source fields for each prospect. One is that automagic, which is I track you from a Google ad click to hiring me, and we know nothing else about you. And the other is what's called self-reported attribution modeling, which is, hey, we are often referred business where you're referred by anyone. And that will give them a free-form answer to tell you that, oh, I actually saw you on the billboard or whatever that might be. Very important. Building out. And then from from there, you have to distill which of those ones is actually the important one because that billboard call may actually have shown up in someone searching for your brand and clicking on a Google ad, for example, right? And so you have to then build it. But across your funnel, leads, consultations, clients, and revenue by your marketing channel to see how things are going, right? Really, really important. Which will bring us to number three, which I, I go back and forth because this one to me is like, I, when we get to the two and one, I'll talk myself out of it. But this one for me is like close, it's arguable top two, maybe even one. Okay. Cost per acquisition. And whether that's cost per, really cost per acquisition of a client, because this is where you're going to know how much money and time you can spend to get your next client. If you don't know that, you're going to overspend you're going to dip into profitability. You might get more clients. We see this all the time. It's like, yeah, guess what? Revenue went up, but guess what? So did the cost. And in fact, the cost went up faster than the revenue did. So we're actually losing money. Target cost per acquisition of a client, target cost per acquisition of a consultation, put that in your marketing pie graph too. But until you actually have what the marketing people would call a pro forma of your target cost per acquisition of a client, or at least target cost per acquisition of a consultation. I know in the PI space, this is tough because you'll say things like, oh, well, you know, one client could be worth $10 million. Put some targets in there, take some medians, look back at your historicals, don't build it on the outliers, figure out what you're willing to spend to get your next client. Yeah, this is a, you, you, no one goes into the grocery store and buys stuff without knowing what the prices are, right? So why are you buying clients without knowing what the price is, right? And, and without knowing what you're willing to pay, right? That might actually be more important, which is your target cost per acquisition. And if you're willing to pay, I like to look at these as percentages, especially in the PI world. If you're willing to pay 20% of the value of your average car crash, right? Now you know what your cost per acquisition is. That means you work for Google on Monday if you're running pay-per-click ads, but you work for yourself on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? Which is great. You need to look at it in those terms. Otherwise, you will never, never figure out how to spend money wisely. And it gets nuanced, right? Pay-per-click is linear. It's immediate. It's, it's frequently a, a sales function as opposed to a marketing function. People have decided to buy. They just need to buy from you. And then you have things like social media where it is a much longer term and where, where you're not necessarily dividing you know, all of your social media spend by this one client because it was not linear like that. It was across all of the clients in that social media space because it is around brand awareness, right? You need to know what these numbers look like. Which takes us to power marketing metric number two, which is referred business. And as I was talking about with cost per acquisition, you should know how much money you're spending on generating referrals and how much time you're investing in nurturing referral relationships and what the value of those referrals are for your firm. 
And especially if you pay, if you're in a, uh, an area there, you pay on referrals, that's a very important metric from an acquisition standpoint, because this is what I hear all the time. Oh, our business is just based on referrals, so we don't spend any money in marketing. Oh, really? You didn't fly across the country to go speak at that lawyer's summit? You didn't spend money taking people out to dinner? You didn't spend money and time doing all these things to nurture your relationships? And then th- and there's another piece to the, uh, I think, that you wanted to speak to about referral business, because referrals also is a measure of your brand position, right? Do yeah. people know your name? Do they know your firm name? Hundred percent. The other beautiful element of referral business, if you know this, ex clients, right? And this is the best indicator that you're doing a great job servicing your clients. If you are getting business, and like this is a no brainer, but no one is looking at the number of referrals that they get from their past clients as an indicator of the quality of work that they do, right? Are you actually measuring that? And if that number is going up, you're doing a great job at servicing your clients, right? Whether or not you're doing a great job in the courtroom is a different conversation, but you're doing a great job at servicing your clients from a, what I call the doctor's bedside banner perspective. People really like working with you and therefore they're going to send you more business. That is a great indicator for me. All right, Guy, drum roll, please. Drum roll. This is drum big. Roll. This is what, it. People are going to, is- I think people are going to be disappointed that this is the number one. <laughs> Oh, we have a gong. Okay, what's number one? Client happiness. And one way to measure client happiness, you mentioned it before, but uh, another one in, in addition to referrals from former clients is reviews from clients. Now, I'm tell you, I know you're already like, I do a great job for clients, but my clients are people who have been arrested for DUI and they don't want to go on to Google and talk about how I got them acquitted for their DUI. And that's totally understandable. Fine. Maybe it's not reviews for you. Maybe it's client feedback surveys. Maybe it is second time referrals or second, maybe it's second time business. Maybe it's hired you to do something else. But if you're not talking to your clients about their happiness and managing to that, everything else isn't going to matter. You know, we talk about this all the time. You can't SEO your way out of a bad reputation. The practice of law is a reputation business and happy clients are the currency of reputation businesses. And if you're really amazing, you can get your review percentage. Clients to reviews over 100%, right, Guy? Right. You have one client, but you actually have 100 happy reviews on Google. Don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, don't review yourself either. I know. All right. Hmm. Have you ever seen that happen? Does that happen? Do lawyers <laughs> review themselves on Google? Wah, wah, wah. All right, no, no we're supposed comment. to be leaving on a high note. Client happiness. Do a great job. Net promoter score. Go look it up, right? Find out how you're doing. Most of you have a very, very limited insight into how happy your clients are. I'll, I'll be blunt. I have a limited view into how happy my clients are, right? And, and remember, too, it's not just about outcomes. You know, lawyers think it's about service. It's about experience. Yeah. Um, a lot of clients don't know what a good outcome is. And so asking them about things like, how do you think about service? And guess what? All of these tie into each other. Because if you go back to metric number five in sales velocity and responsiveness, guess what? The more responsive you are with clients, the happier your clients are going to be. Brought to you by 
Clio's Legal Trends Report, that's going to come out. What are the most important things to you? And I, I guarantee you responsiveness is going to be top three, if not number one. By the way, Lunch Hour Legal Marketing is now on TikTok. So if you're a TikToker, check out LHLM on TikTok. And also, you know, we're always trying to improve. You know, we talk all, we talk all the time about getting feedback from clients. Well, dear listener, you're our client. So please do fill out the Legal Talk Network listener survey at legaltalknetwork.com forward slash survey, which makes me think, Conrad, what's your favorite podcast? My favorite podcast. This is, I'm, I'm going to lay, well, I will give you a specific episode to listen to. If you are a business owner, Chris Walker, you know I have a, a kind of business crush on Chris Walker. He runs a business called Refine Labs. He's completely outside of the legal marketing world, but he is super, super smart. His new podcast that came out, it is episode three, where he talks about the loneliness of being a business owner. And he talks about how sometimes, especially small businesses, over-invest in technology. He talks about what you need to do in order to grow. But I, I really like Chris Walker's podcast from Refine Labs. Super, super fascinating. And I love looking outside of the legal industry to get more intelligent about how to market the legal industry. And this is a great out-of-the-box experience. Chris Walker is just, he's amazing. Check it out. How about yourself? What do you listen to? Two Bobs. David C. Baker, Blair Ends. Okay. Enough said. Enough said. So those of you who are lawyers don't listen to Two Bobs because it's immaterial to you. But it is, it's... False. We false. You're saying false? I was yes, get, there's I, plenty of applicability. It's not, right. it's not directed towards lawyers, but it's directed towards businesses that sell expertise being okay. creative firms. And let me tell you, you're going to do review of Selling the Invisible? That's the stuff that these guys, okay. at least in some episodes. Some episodes you'll be—you're right. Some episodes won't apply, but a lot of the, what they talk about in terms of positioning and selling expertise, right in line with practicing law. And okay, so view. I'll jump on. I'll start to agree with you. Blair ends. We'll talk ad nauseum about value pricing, right? Which is not hourly pricing. So maybe you've brought me around. So fill out that listener survey. LegalTalkNetwork.com forward slash survey. Tell us what you think. Gee, it's time for a bedtime story. Love bedtime stories. This is a new segment that we're doing. And if you hate it because you don't have enough time to read, which is why you listen to podcasts, let us know at hashtag LHLM. But we're going to start doing book reviews, right? I, I'm getting notes from Adam to show my book. This book, this is Selling the Invisible, which frankly looks like nothing because I've had this so long that the book jacket has worn off. I have read Selling the Invisible by Harry Beckwith at least 10 times. And I, this is my original copy and I, and I write in my books. So it's completely torched. I have probably sent close to 100 copies of this to lawyers and friends who run a service business. And the reason I love selling Invisible so much is it is marketing service business, right? The importance of how you market a service business being very different from how you market a Ford Bronco, for example. And it's the intangibles, and so Harry talks about positioning. He talks about the intangibles. One of the greatest anecdotes out of this is how uh, supermarkets have done a study of which oranges are selected, right? If you put out two baskets of oranges, figuring out which, which ones are more likely to be selected. Guy, do you, know, do you know what the number one factor that determines which oranges are selected first? 
The not moldy ones. The not moldy. Well, you're onto something. It's the color. The orangest oranges get picked first. And the color of orange has nothing to do with the flavor of the orange juice. In fact, it's inversely related because the more orange it is, the less, the longer it's been sitting there and the less fresh it is, right? And yet no one knows that. And so everyone buys really, really orange oranges. Beckwith talks about the importance of positioning. And it's a really great read for people thinking about positioning. I'm going to read you a little passage. He's talking about a service business and positioning. And, and we talk about positioning a lot. Most of you are positioning yourselves as a lawyer, which is not positioning. Scales of justice, uh, leather-bound books, the, the columns, etc. This is from Beckwith. His positioning veered so far from the others that he made the others appear almost identical to one another, thus reducing the five-firm competition to two firms, Graves and the best of the other four. And it is very easy to do this in the legal market because most of you have frankly, no unique positioning other than I, than I graduated law school, right? And so being able to stand out and being that firm that is different positions everyone else as frankly the same. Do I like the unique version? And if I don't like the unique version, I got to select among four or five or all the other firms in the market. And if I do like that unique positioning, there's no way I would ever hire anyone else. So this is an old, old business book, but it is a great one. Selling the Invisible by Harry Beckwith. Five stars from Conrad. Five stars. And with that, dear listener, it brings us to yet another episode of Lunch Hour Legal Marketing's Conclusion. Please do press that subscribe button on your favorite podcasting subscription service. Leave us a review and hashtag LHLM to let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear us talk about. Until next time, Conrad and Guy for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing signing off. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Let's talk more about annual plans, Guy. Um... How many of your clients? And, and I want to cut. I have yeah, to read. Ahead. I have to read the. Legal oh, you've got to read the nice thing about Cleo. See, he's being a good host. I, those of you who are not watching this, but instead listening to this, I was getting the the dirty look from Gee. Like, when's Connor going to shut up? Well, you're getting the hook in the chat. You're getting yeah, stayed, yeah, yeah. getting pulled off the stage. All right, ignore, here we go. Ignore the chat. Yeah. Okay. To learn more. Up. Oh, starting again. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm, and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice. Join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.